day and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Nick Austin filling in for Stephen Henderson. Over the last two weeks, hundreds of thousands of Michiganders lost power. This was caused uh, a cause for outrage for lots of people, but unfortunately, it wasn't terribly novel. Michiganders are growing more and more accustomed to losing power for days at a time, a few years, a few times each year. That's the result of a combination of factors. Climate change is causing storms to get more severe and more frequent. Our infrastructure is also outdated. But there's a more contentious aspect of these outrages and outages. The fact that they happen under the control of a largely publicly traded company and include DTE Energy and Consumers Energy. People in the region generally don't like these companies because they are having a hard time holding them accountable and because the former company, DTE, charges very high rates for services to consumers. Now, technically, these companies are overseen by the Michigan Public Service Commission, a government agency. But in reality, customers often don't feel like they have any say in the operations of the companies. And all these feelings of powerlessness and the consistent outages leave us with questions. What are actually the best utility systems that we can have? Does it make a big difference whether we had private or public utilities? Would customers' money be better spent on changing the grid, on burying lines, on lowering rates and switching to green energy? If public utilities were in charge, uh, would it be better? Or do we already have the best system we possibly could? Are private utilities, in fact, better? To understand this, we have people making the case on both sides. Later in the program, University of Detroit Mercy Law Professor Nick Schreck will be here to make the case for a public utility system. But right now, we are talking with Adrian Moore, an economist and vice president of policy at Reason Foundation, a libertarian think tank. Adrian is here to make the case for private utilities. And Adrian, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks very much, Nick. Glad to be on. I'm glad you're on, too, because I have had lots of conversations, especially with the outages that we've had. It's been a big subject here in Michigan about uh, the best ways for us to do our grid. And I have asked and asked and asked people to make the case for private utilities And I'm having difficulty finding someone. I'm glad I found you because I genuinely want to know, Adrian, make the case for us. What? Why are private utilities better than public ones? Well, part of the challenge uh, that I think you're running into is any utility is any electric utility in the United States essentially is a monopoly. So that radically diminishes the sort of difference between public and private in that sector. And, you know, one of the one of the sort of teaser questions you asked is, you know, do we already have the best possible system? And and good heavens, no, not on either side. The challenges we really face is that we are not doing a great job of of creating good incentives and good accountability and good uh, uh, sort of um, transparency to the public and responsiveness to the public with any of these monopolies, be they public or private. We really need to fix that before whether any particular utility is public or private is gonna make a big difference. I think if we had a, a, a much better sort of regulatory system 
then there would be some real advantages to private utilities because they would be more able to respond to those incentives than government-owned ones are. But for the time being, we're stuck with a pretty suboptimal system. Wait a second. Did I hear the libertarians say we need a better regulatory system? <laughs> well, you know, if they're a most libertarians will, will freely admit that monopolies can't just be given free reign. Yeah. Uh, where you have natural monopolies, um, you, you're going to have to have regulation. Now, we could go down a whole rabbit hole about how much of the electric system really needs to be a monopoly and could we uh, more broadly replicate systems that we have in a, in a handful of states that at least have the generation of electricity be highly competitive. Yeah. You know, wires, you're not going to have multiple sets of wires running down the road. So you've still got some monopoly elements, right? Right. Well, Adrian, then this leads into my next example. If it's such a better option to go private um, based on the case that you would be making, do we have examples that you can point to out in a society of uh, some private utilities that do a great job and are really popular with their customers? <laughs> well, yeah. That last part is, is a real bite. I, you know, electric utilities just aren't popular. Um, okay, who does the best? Who does you know, the best job then? Let me just put it that way. So, I, I guess I would point to if if you want to look at it, what I think is the most important lens is is like you said, is our customers happy? And the place where you can get the best sense of that actually is Texas, even though in Texas right now they have they've had huge problems uh, with um, you know power outages and bad storms now a couple of times. So their system is still far from perfect. But one thing that people do have in Texas is they actually get to pick. There's there's a competitive structure for who you're going to buy your electricity from. There's still a monopoly for the wires to get you the electricity. That's all regulated by the state. But people can choose green energy. They can choose cheap energy. They can choose uh, energy where they get a lot of technological control. I have a friend who lives there who has an app on his phone that uh, from the, his electric company that lets him continuously fine-tune manage the electricity use in not only his home, but his business that he owns, which uses a lot of electricity. And, uh, and, and, and so that's what he values. So consumers tend to be happier there because they actually get choices. And if they don't like the utility they've got, they can leave and go to another. And that's what I think would would break through a lot of people's discontent if they weren't just stuck with whatever utility happens to have you know kind of ownership rights for providing electricity to the the, the house they live in on the block they're on on the street they're on uh nobody gets a choice in that in 95 percent of america yeah well one of the first of all in texas i think they have far different weather uh obstacles that they're facing than we do here in terms of one of the reasons we have issues with uh, 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 electricity going down. But taking your point that there's multiple or options for people out there in Texas, um, part of the issue is ramping up another electricity company. That doesn't just happen overnight. I mean, how many companies are there in uh, Texas that provide uh, ac actual change for people that they feel like, oh, if I don't like this group, I can go to the next group? How does that even work? Um, you know, there's there's dozens of them because, first of all, there's already a lot of electric generation companies out there uh, that are private that sell electricity all over the U.S. So most monopoly utilities 
trade for at least some of their electricity from outside of their own area where they generate their own electricity, or in fact, many of the private utilities you have in your area are owned by larger holding companies, so to speak, or larger utility companies that also own other electricity generation companies in other parts of the country. And there's a lot of trade back and forth and movement. There's also big government generation uh, uh, entities, you know, s sort of quasi-independent uh, government uh, agencies that generate electricity and sell it all over the country. So there's more of an infrastructure there for a place like Texas to build on uh, than you might think. It just had to expand once customers were able to make those choices. We're talking right now with Adrian Moore, an economist and vice president of policy and reason at the Reason Foundation, a libertarian think tank. But we also want to speak with you. What are actually the best utility systems that we can have? And does it make a big difference to you whether we have a private or public utility system? What do you think would be the best rate? What questions do you have also about private utilities? Give us a call, 313-577-1019, and we can work you into the conversation. Again, that's 313-577-1019. As I get back to you, Adrian, one of the issues that I hear a lot from people here also is when you're dealing with private companies, especially publicly traded ones where they have uh, duties to their shareholders, a lot of money goes to making it a good investment for those shareholders and shareholders expect return on their investment. So people will complain money that could be going back into the grid to expanding it or making sure we have less outages is actually going into the pockets of shareholders because those are the true uh, customers, if you will. That's who people are most worried about, not as much the consumer. How do you respond to people who have those concerns? I mean, to a certain extent, that's true. Uh, you know, all of these electric utilities that are investor owned do have investors. They're also strictly regulated on what their rate of return can be and the rates they can charge uh, to make investments. Um, when one of these utilities wants to make, first of all, they make more money the more investments they make. So there's never really a disincentive for them to make investments in improving the system unless the Utility Regulatory Commission doesn't allow them to make those because there may be environmental impacts, there may be costs. A lot of the problems we're having these days is that during times when there isn't anything crazy going on with the weather, people don't want to pay higher rates to build redundancy in the system that will allow everything to keep operating when you have an extreme storm. But then when the extreme storm comes, everybody screams because now we don't have enough electricity because part of the system went down. Well. If you want redundancy so that when part of the system goes down, you still get electricity, you've got to pay for that redundancy all the time, uh, which is very frustrating for folks. But Adrian, I don't know. I would push back maybe a little bit against that because I understand that model. Uh, if that were, in fact, you know, how it always works out. However, there's also the calculation that if you're a publicly traded company and you want more investment through uh, public investment, uh, people need returns. So that is still a tension. It's not just about if we create the best service for our consumers, people will automatically invest. You could take more money and make sure it doesn't go to your investors to make a better system. But if the investor's not seeing the return, why would they 
uh, invest back in. I, I think that there still is a calculation you have to get there about hitting that number for uh, the investors that we have to uh, discuss also here. I mean, to, to a certain extent, yes, but that's all very canned. With it. It's not like, you know, look, in most of the things we buy in the market, from the soda we drink to the sport equipment we use to play whatever sport we play in our off time, to our cars, to, you know, the medicines we take are, own, are produced by investor-owned companies that have to give profits to their investors. And yet, they're in highly competitive markets where they also have to please consumers. The problem with utilities is they don't have that. Who they have to please are the regulators who represent, in a sense, the customers. And that's a very tricky process. And it's exactly the same with a public utility. If the city owns a utility, who on your city, wherever you're, the listeners listening to this right now, whatever city, actual incorporated city you happen to live in, how many of your city councilors do you think know anything about how an electric utility runs? I venture to guess zero, <laughs> absolutely zero. So they just have to, they're the, they're the owners, they represent the voters in owning this electric utility, but the, the people who run the electric, the electric utility, they just have to take them at their word for what they do. It's not really any more accountable than the Electric Regulatory Commission uh, and the privately owned utilities. You can go to those meetings and you can speak up. You can go to the the city commission meetings and you can speak up. But in a monopoly setting, how responsive are any of these entities? Generally, not very responsive. And that's what frustrates consumers and and consumer advocacy groups. Speaking of consumers, Adrian, let's go to one of them right now as we have on the line here. I'm joined by uh, Jason. Jason in Detroit. Jason, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Wait, hold on. We're going to get Jason in just a moment. Uh, Jason, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Yes, I just wanted to say that I'm a member of both uh, I'm a customer of DTE Energy as well as I'm a member of Thumb Electric Cooperative in the Thumb of Michigan. And I can, can directly compare the quality of service between the two. And I can tell you that a rural, a small rural electric cooperative has much better capability to maintain their grid and upgrade things. When I was a kid, we saw green insulators on poles were antiques in the Thumb. And when I came to Detroit, they were still in use. And I just, it's, it's, much more responsive when you have ownership in the in the electric cooperative than if you're just a customer. Thank J- you, Jason. I appreciate your uh, point, Adrian. What, just, what response do you have to Jason? Yeah, I mean, there's a huge difference, I think, among utilities around the country, and smaller definitely is more responsive. Um, it also can be, you know, more expensive, but a lot of people are happy to deal with some of those cost challenges to have a more responsive utility. The bigger the utilities are, uh, you know, if you compare the Los Angeles public utility, which is bigger than most of the private utilities scattered around the country, uh, it's very similar to the giants like Duke Energy uh, and some of these large investor-owned utilities in terms of how responsive to customers they are. So. You know, I think you're, the caller's experiencing a lot of the benefits of, of it being small rather than it being 
better just because it's it's a it's a cooperative. But cooperatives do are set up to be a more responsive to customers in general than either I think city-owned utilities or uh, investor-owned utilities under the current uh, regulatory structure. So again, if we had better regulations, I think all of these utilities would be much more alike and much more like what he's talking about. We're speaking with Adrian Moore, an economist and vice president of policy at Reason Foundation, a libertarian think tank. And we want to speak with you as well as he makes the case for private utilities. Give us a call. 313-577-1019. Do you believe private utilities are better ideas, worse ideas? Uh, What is your question that you would have for someone who supports private utilities? As we move right now to Alyssa in Gross Point Park. Alyssa, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Hi, I just um, hopped in the car. I happen to have power today, which is kind of a nice, you know, surprise. There's no telling really when when it comes and when it goes. Um, I just am really, really taken aback by the framing of this um, gentleman's uh, position that somehow DTE is like a, a victim in all of this because we, the customers, don't want to pay higher rates as though we have a choice because DTE is a monopoly and we have no choice in what we pay them. They're just giving us this heads up that we're going to be paying higher rates at certain times over the summer. Um, we have no, no option other than like, you know, what going off the grid, which is not very practical for most people. And also there's zero accountability in the DTE setup right now. So we have no idea when or if the grid is ever going to get upgraded or improved. We have a general sense that uh, we're not going to get anything good because shareholders get theirs off the top. Um, so the only way that, that we would be um, upgraded in any way would be like if the good, the good kind shareholders saw fit to do that. But this gentleman's framing that somehow um, customers or consumers don't want to pay the upgrade is so disingenuous and it's frankly infuriating to hear right now this is just unbelievable we've had powers power going in and out for the last week we haven't had a like the storm was last week people were without power for days on end and then again for days on end and i just don't understand how anybody could frame this in a way that like whether it's private or whatever, that this DTE situation is in any way in service of the people of the region. Thank you. I appreciate your points there, Alyssa and Gross Point Park. A lot of people here have been having difficulties with electricity, which makes this a very touchy and important topic to get into right now. But Adrian, I suspect your response to her would be that you kind of are actually aligned with her points, but I leave it to you. How do you respond to Alyssa's points? Yeah, I, I mean, she her, her frustration is uh, I'm 100% uh, aligned with. And, and what I'm talking about is the changes we need to make so that people like her can have more direct control over uh, how they're, the money they're paying their electric utility is used. Yeah. Uh, Adrian. But you only get that in a competitive system. Sure. I mean, her I, confusion about, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I say her confusion about the current system is pretty profound. Right now, first of all, the, st- the, the, the shareholders do not get their money off at the top. There is a government entity that is with a board that is appointed by the, the state government and perhaps some local officials 
uh, that regulates that utility. And it tells them every shareholder will get exactly this percentage of revenue. It is a fixed rate. That's why utilities are sort of like a safe investment. They don't make a lot, but they consistently make a steady amount. That same entity regulates and determines on an annual basis every dime that these utilities spend and what they spend it on. So their entire spending structure and every investment they decision they make is uh, 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 essentially dictated to them or approved by mm. a government regulatory body that is appointed by elected officials that the caller, among others, elects. All right. It is totally democratic and totally not working well for the consumers. Well, That's what has to change. Well, Adrian, I, I have time for just one more quick question uh, before we get into the case for public utilities. A lot of times when we see private utilities take, or private companies, I should say, entities take over things, uh, a lot of squeezing the price will lead to a reduction in actual services. I think of, for example, private companies taking over jails, for example. They might take them over on a lease for 20 years, then the degradation of the services, of the uh, uh, equipment in the jail, they don't spend money on that. And then as a result, uh, the functionality of the place suffers before it goes back in the hands of the public. Uh, what response do you have for people who are concerned that uh, by going to a purely private model, as you advocate, uh, there's going to be a degradation in services to the actual consumer because of just trying to squeeze price out by making it more competitive between different companies who are just trying to chase dollars and not really give good service? You, you have to think about all the rest of your life and everything else that you consume in the rest of your life. And you're not experiencing that anywhere. The quality of everything you're buying pretty much is going up. There may be lower quality, cheaper options, but you always have higher quality options too. The, a competitive market creates lots of quality if that's what consumers want mm. you know which is why you get crazy stuff like why is flying so lousy these days well we can we know consistently because people will not pay for quality when it comes to flying they always want the cheapest no matter what and so we get what we pay for so when things like utilities and prisons where these are not competitive market-based services you're you have a government ownership and government regulation we got to ask ourselves, well, why is that system not providing the same kind of accountability and the same kind of quality and the same kind of pricing that I'm getting in the rest of the market where I'm buying things? All right, Adrian. What well, do we have to change about that system to get the benefits that I get in the rest of the market? Adrian, I appreciate you coming on. Like I said, press for time. Got to move on to the next case. But thank you again for joining us here on Detroit Today. Thank you. When we continue, we're going to speak with Nick Schreck about the case for public utilities here on 1019 WDET in Detroit today. But first, we have some wonderful folks to tell you more about how you can support us here as Detroit Today continues in just a moment. It's 
Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, where I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson, talking about the case of public versus private utilities. And we just heard from someone make the case for public utilities. Now it's time to hear the other side. Nick Schreck is the Associate Dean of Experimental Education, Experiential Education, and an Associate Professor at Detroit Mercy School of Law. He's also an environmental law expert and a frequent guest on the show and perhaps the best first name in environmental law. He's here now to talk about the dynamics of public utilities and to discuss how our energy grid is changing and needs to change in the wake of the passage of some really big legislative bills in Congress. Nick Schreck, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks, Nick. Good to be with you. Good to be here. We want to hear about the case of public utilities, but before that, I know there are a few things that we should cover about our changing energy grid. So let's just start here. How are the Infrastructure Bill and Inflation Reduction Act uh, changing our grid? Well, there's, there's funding and financing available to, you know, hopefully fund some of the infrastructure improvements that are sorely needed um, here in metropolitan Detroit. Um, and so, so both the Inflation Reduction Act and the Infrastructure Bill, they've got some um, incentives and, and some, some low-cost um, you know, loans for utilities uh, to apply for, uh, which would be helpful. And this is really geared towards an emphasis on taking more of the things that we use in our day-to-day lives, uh, moving them to electric. So moving more of our, our heating supply from natural gas to electric. Um, of course, automobiles, you know, we talk about that a lot, but, you know, electrifying the vehicle fleet. Um, so, but in order to do that, you have to have a good, reliable source of electricity. And so, you know, one of the things that, that's very, um, you know, kind of concerning to I know many of us here in southeast Michigan is, you know, if we're going to electrify everything and we have these large uh, federal laws that are, that are sending you know, millions and millions of federal dollars into states to work towards electrifying everything in, in our lives, and that's really the goal there is to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions um, through electric vehicles and, and, you know, cutting back on our greenhouse gas emissions from things like heating our homes, um, that we need to have reliable power to do that. Yeah. So it, it's you know, sort of an interesting, uh, you know, I, and I completely am on board with us needing to use electrification to help reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but we're having that conversation in the context of you know, really widespread catastrophic failures of our electrical grid here in the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah. We also want to talk about, speaking of the failures that we've had recently, the ways that our energy grid is more vulnerable today due to climate change. Can you tell us, how is the changing climate shaking our grid and causing more of the outages that we're experiencing here in southeast Michigan? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, and and it does vary depending upon geography and, and the, the kind of local um, issues at play. But here in southeast Michigan, you know, we, we've experienced some of these um, climate change impacts already. So things like more intense and severe storms. So we may have less frequent thunderstorms and, and rain activity, but when we get them, they're, they're more intense and they're stronger. Um, things like more in, stronger winds uh, developing because of changes in pressure, with um, perhaps the jet stream being weakened by climate change or other factors, you know, moving air masses across the continent, we're seeing at times stronger wind activity. Um, and then, of course, flooding, right? We've experienced this many times or with these extreme rain events. We have flooding, which can, you know, knock out uh, different, different types of infrastructure, can also weaken things like utility pool, poles, um, where perhaps they're the, the foundation of those poles can be uh, weakened through, through flooding events. Um, and then, of course, we have 
more opportunities for things like ice storms um, in, in the middle of the winter, right? So we had this ice storm in February, late February, that um, was really catastrophic for us here in southeast Michigan. And, you know, normally we would, we would plan, we'd think that we would see ice storms more in, you know, late March or early April. And so, you know, all of these things are kind of shifting. The intensity of these storms are shifting. And so the strength of our infrastructure and the reliability of our electric grid really needs to be a focus. And I think what we've seen here uh, through our investor-owned regulated utility, uh, DTE, is we have seen this lack of investment in upgrading our infrastructure, making sure that it's sound to meet these challenges of a changing climate, and frankly, to meet just kind of current, current reliability challenges, right? I mean, that's, that's what we need to see as well. And so, so we're not there yet. So there's, what we have is a, a grid that is vulnerable, a grid that has shown that um, we've had severe reliability problems. Um, the, the length of time it takes to get our power restored has really been unacceptable. You have all that in, in the face of, of a warming climate, which means more extreme weather, which is more likely to do things like, you know, bring down trees, but also just to, you know, impact the actual physical infrastructure itself um, from those extreme weather events. We're, list, or we're talking to Nick Schreck again right now, associate professor at the Detroit Mercy School of Law and the Dean of Experiential Education and Environmental Law Expert. And you bring it up right now, Nick. So let's let's hear the case. What is the case for public utilities and the best case that you can make? Well, I mean, the first thing I'll say is that under the current system that we have with um, DTE and consumers uh, being our publicly regulated utilities here in the state, uh, they can do better, all right? Just as an initial point, they can and should do better. Um, you know, the, the status quo, there, there's no inherent reason why our current utility structure um, should be uh, providing such inadequate services. Um, there, there's a real problem with corporate accountability, and that's one reason that I think public utilities make a lot more sense is, is the, the accountability factor, making sure that the public um, – that there's transparency, that the public knows where investments are being made, when investments are being made, and that there's also accountability when you have things like long periods to restore power, you know, multiple days to restore power, and these kind of frequent reliability issues that we have. Uh, but, I, but I just want to make that point. I mean, there are private companies that, are, that, that have some sort of you know, public regulation through like a public service commission we have here in Michigan that, that do a much better job than DTE. So, I mean, that's the first point. Um, as far as the case for public utilities in general, I mean, a lot of it does come down to that accountability and transparency. You know, the, uh, us actually having the ability to know where these decisions are made rather than them being made in a corporate boardroom. Um, and, and there is that difference between the distribution of power to us as residential customers and the generation of that power. And we have to remember to keep those things separate. Um, you know, it's not just that the Public Service Commission regulates the rates that we pay for electricity. That's absolutely true. But remember, the company also makes money off of the, the cost of its of its shares, the price of its shares. Yeah. And so they often make decisions um, as a corporation intending to boost that share price. And And that's where we sometimes see this conflict between what's good for the investors in the share price and what's good for us as, as customer rate payers. And sometimes, you know, there's a conflict there. And so that's, you take away that, that profit motivation in the public utility model. And I think that can lead to some, some greater accountability. You also see, I mean, the one caller earlier talked about uh, some of the electric co-ops that we have in the Northern part of the state. And, and I think you, you do have a much closer relationship with a publicly owned utility than you do with a, a large, uh, you know, private company. 
and what I mean is that they're more focused on local concerns and local issues. You know, it took quite a while last week when we had those lengthy power outages for, for DTE to really respond and, and to you know, get folks out there in terms of a, a, a public uh, communication strategy and to really talk about what was going on. You, you're much more likely to have better efficient operations and more uh, connection to the communities that you serve with public utilities rather than, than private. Um, so really, I think it comes down to transparency, accountability, and some of those local priorities, which, you know, here, if, if you ask everybody walking down the street, what's their priority of power? It's number one, they, they want it on, right. and they understand that when we lose power, which does happen from time to time, um, we want it to be restored as quickly as possible. And that's where I think our utilities are really falling down. Um, I think we all understand we have to pay for it, right? The, these things don't, don't come for free. We understand there has to be a rate that's charged that, that needs to be you know fair and all of that, but um, I think that the, the case for public utilities really comes down to that transparency, accountability, and that kind of local connection, local investment that you often don't get with these large publicly traded companies that are really um, in, in large part responding to, to shareholders. And well, Nick Shrek, do you have examples of uh, big cities, locations, large metropolis areas where public utilities have done a better job, and specifically public electricity grids? Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's examples we can look at across the country. Um, you know, Los Angeles is an example. It's often pointed to as, as a public utility. Um, there, there, you know, there's there's some that that are um, you know in Tennessee, uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee has a pretty large public uh, utility. So you know, all over the country, you can kind of look at these uh, different examples. We also have some fairly large electrical co-ops uh, cooperatives here in the state of Michigan. Um, you know, one example, Cherryland. Um, cooperative up there near Traverse City that, again, you know, does a pretty good job with, with their reliability and with responsiveness to, to customer needs and concerns. So, you know, I don't think there's a, a right answer necessarily. I will say that there are some inherent advantages to a public utility, again, in terms of that accountability and in terms of that, that connection to the local communities that we, we often don't see with these private companies. Well, Nick Schreck, uh, I could talk to you for days, hours on end about uh, publicly traded companies. Who doesn't feel the excitement of talking about public <laughs> utilities, but you somehow uh, managed to make it happen? So, Nick Schreck, thanks again for joining us to make the case for public utilities. Thanks, Nick. It's Detroit Today here on 1019 WDET. I did mention I'm Nick Austin, but I'm not the only person uh, who you're going to hear from. I also had a chance a little bit earlier to speak with Stephen Henderson, who wishes he was here uh, to join us. And that conversation with Stephen Henderson happens right now. Here on 1019 WDET, where the tables are turned right now because on Detroit Today, my guest is the man who's normally behind the chair, Stephen Henderson. Stephen uh, I know you're not used to being on the other side of the mic. I don't think I like it either. <laughs> it's good, right? <laughs> the tables have turned because <laughs> <They have. laughs> what people really want to know as they're listening to Detroit Today is, why is Steven Henderson not here, and when do I get my Steven Henderson back? Well, because uh, I have a life like everybody else. It and is true. Sometimes life intervenes, and I've got to go and do other things. As it, as it turns out, this week I'm actually going to visit my mother in another state and see how she's doing. She's 80 years old and, and needs more assistance from me and my sister than she used to. So uh, I've had this scheduled for a long time. So that's where I will be. But meanwhile... Our listeners are in absolutely great hands, expert hands, in fact, because uh, Nick will be Nick will be uh, hosting the show, and of course, Nick helps us out producing Detroit today, 
all the time, but uh, but he's also a fabulous host of his own on Soul Saturdays. Oh, so uh, so I always feel really comforted. In fact, that uh, that I can leave town when I need to, but the show goes on That's and right. goes on at a very high level. Well, one of the reasons I wanted thank you by the way, and one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up is, of course, this is the fundraiser time, so you don't get the opportunity now during the week to thank the listeners, which I know you appreciate so much. But since we also need the support from folks, uh, what message do you have for them? What do you want them to do even while uh, you're not here in the chair? Look, we, we are building a community on Detroit today and have been since I started hosting. And I am overwhelmed by the, the pace of that growth, the strength of that growth, the breadth and depth of that growth. But that growth does require an investment. I think being a real part of that community means that you are invested. And look, everybody has different means to do that. If $10 a year is all you can give, it's still a sign of your investment, of your faith and commitment to this community that we're building. At the same time, uh, I am someone who gives a lot more uh, to WDET because yeah. uh, because I can. Uh, it doesn't the, – the amount is not the issue. The issue is that symbol, that idea that – I, I value this and I want to make sure that I'm doing my part to keep it going. That's why we have the twice a year fundraiser. That's why anytime during the year you can go to the website or call the number and become part of that community. But especially right now, given uh, the strains that are on uh, everybody and everybody's business, uh, we really do need people to step up. And decide that uh, that they do want to be part of this community and that they do want to make sure it survives and thrives. So don't miss this opportunity to be part of the community during the on-air fundraiser. Yeah, well said. I mean, when we know when people give, it has an effect on others around us. They're more likely to give as well. I th- and you talk about the community. I know people value that a lot. But Stephen, just so that people know that this is the real Stephen Henderson, I'm going to give you an opportunity. <laughs> Tell them something that only the real Stephen Henderson would know. So that, that they only know the real only Stephen the real Stephen Henderson would know. Uh, well, one is that my favorite hour of every day is the hour that we do Detroit Today live, 9 uh, to 10 a.m. And of course, it's rebroadcast at at 7 p.m. But another really fun fact about Stephen Henderson is that I played the tuba in the Michigan marching band uh, for my freshman and sophomore years uh, at the University of Michigan. It is one of the singular experiences of my life. And every time I have dreams about college. I never dream about working at the college newspaper, which I did and became my career. I'm always on the field in the marching band in my dreams about college. Well, so. there there you go. It's official. <laughs> this is the real Stephen Henderson. You got a good fact about Tuba and the real Stephen Henderson wants you to make that gift of support right now. 800-959-9338 or online at WDET.org. Stephen, I'm going to let you get back to your family. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you. That's going to do it for us today here on Detroit Today. But make sure you tune in tomorrow when we are going to speak with Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist about a range of topics, including juvenile lifers, gun control and the repeal of right to work. We're also planning this week to have a discussion about happiness and the keys to success in life, as well as speak with Peniel Joseph about the third reconstruction. You won't want to miss any of it. And it all happens because of your support. Keep listening here on 1019 WDET. We'll talk again tomorrow.